Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. I want to thank those of you who've been coming out to Smith Mills Camp. There's been a handful of nights this week. How many of y'all heard Pastor Kurt drop the mic? So much fire and so much power. And while he was writing his sermon series, by the way, called Generational Decision Making, did I get that right? Generational Decision Making, I was writing a, a word for this house that if it had a title, would have been called Generational Decision Making. So I'm just going to steal it from him. Um, it, it is interesting how we're, we're arriving at this place where if you want to miss what God's doing, you literally have to stick your head in the sand. He's not hiding anymore. The move of God is not some just pebble in a pond out back somewhere. It is a meteorite in an ocean, and you're going to get wet. It's like the flume at the theme park, and you see it coming from a mile away, and you're like, that's not going to hit me. I'm on the bridge. You know who you are. And then it comes down, and, you know, three cameras and an iPhone later, you're like, oh, I guess I got wet. That's what's coming, and it's here in Jesus' name. So, man, we've just been seeing the Lord get wrecked. How many of you guys were able to be a part of the Encounter Conference here the last couple of days? Awesome. I'm so excited, just even about the education, because I, I'm a, I, love, I love to experience the power and presence of God, um, but unless we're adding to that knowledge and understanding, unless we're allowing the Lord to, to get us in the word and dissect it and really separate us from our souls and our flesh to know the difference of what's going on and what we're carrying and what we're believing and why, um, unless we're willing to accept the knowledge piece of this, um, there's, there's just going to be a lot of ignorance. And so I'm excited to see the people of God digging in and saying, all right, Lord, show me what I need to know. They called Jesus rabbi, teacher, teacher, teacher. Yeah, you're the way, the truth, the life, all those things. But teach me so that I might obtain that truth which brings transformation. And so I want to encourage, encourage those of you who are lapping up what the Lord is doing. Um, tonight is the last night at Smith Mills Camp, and it is not supposed to be Pastor Kurt. I got that wrong in the first service. If you're watching from first to now, uh, just know that I was mistaken. It is not Pastor Kurt tonight, um, but I'm going to be leading there tonight with Ashley. And uh, I just want to encourage you. This is the last night, and kids are being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and destinies and callings and anointings, fires falling from heaven. So listen. Um, if you can make it out to Smith Mills tonight, service is at 7, um, dinner is at 5, make it out, come out, and just let the Lord speak to you, let him reveal something to you. It's been so cool to see our youth, some of our youth out there, some of our young adults out there, uh, different pastors and folks on staff, just to come, not to minister, but just to sit in a, in a pew and receive. And so um, if you're in... Um, uh, if you're in a serving uh, place here, a position here, and you're pouring out a lot, then you've got to compensate for that with making sure that you're sitting somewhere where you're being poured back into. Amen? So 
Last week in second service, uh, one of our elders' wives, Susanna Salvatore, came up, and she read a short verse, a little passage out of 2 Timothy, and it's a verse that many of us are familiar with. It says, in a large house, uh, there are many vessels. There are wooden vessels and earthen vessels. Uh, There are vessels of gold and silver. And she said, and there are vessels of of honor and of dishonor. Thank you, Pastor John. And uh, she read that out, and she put it out very simply on the body to understand that as the sons and daughters of God, we are vessels, and we're going to be filled with something. And as I listened to that word, I, it was interesting because Pastor Scott got up to preach. Um, by the way, how about Pastor Scott Axman with that? I don't want to take credit for anything, but it was my idea to bring him in. I'm just saying. Um, anyway. He's just incredible, and it was such a gift to Ashley and I just to receive in that service, and I just thank those of you that stayed for an extra hour at the altar afterward. Like I said, you're going to have to work to miss it. God's just here, and he, and he wants to, us to encounter him. He wants to get face-to-face with us. He wants those mountaintop uh, transfiguration moments. So come expecting it. Come anticipating it. So... She gets up and reads that verse, shares that word, and then Pastor Scott tells me later, he's like, I think you might have said it in the message that that was actually in his notes to include that, but that it didn't make the cut while preaching his message. And I was texting this week, I said, did you say that was in your message? And if so, what was that about? Because the Lord won't leave me alone with it. So we are going back and forth a little bit about it. And the Lord said to me, like over the course of the week, like dig into these vessels, these vessels. In the Lord's house, there are many vessels. And I felt called back. I felt the Lord reminding me all the way back of how the vessels were sort of like the vessels in the house of the Lord, the, the, the dishes, if you will, the cups and the, and the pitchers and the, the crock pots. You know, anybody been to a potluck dinner? I heard somebody call it a pot blessing dinner lately, you know, because we don't believe in luck. As You get it, right? Okay, because you're from the South and we're like, y'all don't say luck. We don't believe in luck. Pot blessing. But I'm like, it still has pot in it. Anywhere you go. Like, it's bad either way. And in the South, those things were so nasty, people didn't even come back for the dishes. They were, if they were, had ever been a vessel of honor, they were a vessel of dishonor now. You know who you are. And so I jumped back in the story. And if you go all the way back to the tabernacle in the wilderness and Moses and Aaron sort of putting together this primitive worship practice and policy for the people of God. If you follow the story, you know, they make dishes. They make stuff, vessels that would be used for the showbread to put the thing on and the fire pans. And we see them show up here and there. Like, uh, when the, when the disease broke out in the camp and, and, um, and the Lord says uh, to go stand between the living and the dead, and, and he goes out with his fire pan as a sacrifice, uh, creating a barrier between that disease, that infirmity, and the people of God, and, and, and the plague is checked, and the people are saved. But if you follow this story, it keeps coming, the vessels keep coming up to Solomon, building uh, his, his father's, to his father's specs, the temple of the Lord, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, one of the seven wonders of the world. And part of the building process is that new dishes are made. 
I don't know if they kept the old ones. I don't know if they just added them or if Solomon's like everything new. Uh, he kind of strikes me as one of those guys. And so it's like gold and silver and bronze and, and every kind of thing imaginable. Beautiful, shiny things are made and they're put into the house of the Lord. And it matters. It matters to God. It was on David's heart. It was on God's heart. And even if the temple itself was never something the father asked for because it wasn't, these vessels were always intended to be part of the practice of worship as God's people engaged with him. So that brings us all the way to 2 Kings chapter 24. Nope, 2 Kings chapter 20. And in 2 Kings chapter 20, there's sort of this rapid fire. It's a quick story, a tragic story, but it's a story of Hezekiah who is actually a pretty good king. In a, in a long line of pretty sorry kings, Hezekiah is actually a decent guy and he loves the Lord. And in his reign, God shows up in a couple of really powerful ways. And one of them is when Hezekiah gets sick and he's gonna die, he's kind of on his deathbed and they come in, they pray and they intercede. They ask the Lord and, and God grants their ask. He answers their prayers and he gives Hezekiah 15 more years of health and life. And so I love that story because it's so specific. And, and we see Hezekiah's illness. We see a radical uh, healing and recovery. And then the Lord even grants him the confirmation that he would definitely get those extended years of his life by his shadow not moving on the steps. It's a really cool story if you want to read it. But the problem is that leads us to this sort of loophole where the bottom drops out of not just Hezekiah's story, but so many of our stories as well. And what happens is Hezekiah is, is desperate. Nobody can do it but God. He cries out to God. God shows up. God moves heaven and earth and this disease away from him, heals him radically, and then. You see, many of us, we, uh, we're so comfortable in despair or discouragement or defeat that we will cry out to God. And in fact, some of our most incredible and intense and, and I'll say God-worthy prayers are prayed from foxholes. They're prayed from, from battlefields. They're prayed from deathbeds, if you will. And we cry out to God and God hears us and he moves because he's graceful and merciful and faithful. But then what? He moves, our prayers are answered. And if you go all the way back to the, the judges cycle, right? 400 years of pattern that is so clear it hurts. That every time God comes and rescues and delivers his people, that they turn around and do what the Bible says is right in their own eyes. They make a judgment call. They decide this is good. They don't, it doesn't say they go and do what was bad. It says they do what was right in their own eyes. And Hezekiah is no exception to this rule. In fact, this pattern follows the history of God's people all the way up to today. We don't know what to do with victory. We know that maybe we can attach a personal victory to a song of victory that we're singing or that, we, that we're supposed to share a testimony when we have a victory. But by and large, victory for the people of God has become this unsustainable resource where we don't know how to manage it. We don't know how to steward it. We don't know how to protect it. 
And so we end up in this same pitfall with this same epic fail. So what does Hezekiah do? So Hezekiah has this radical recovery, awesome, crazy, miraculous God moment. And Babylon hears the news. Pick up with me, verse 12. At that time, Baradak Baladin, a son of Baladin, king of Babylon, so this is a, a Babylonian prince, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Somebody say, oh, that's so sweet. So precious. Babylon would reach out with like condolences and would care that much about, you know, Hezekiah. We're not really told what Baladin's son's intent really was here. But I'm here to tell you that I don't need to know the intent to tell you what the outcome is going to be. See, as believers, we're taught to tune out the world when it says the stuff that we don't want to hear right? We're taught, we're taught to, to, to not receive the report of Satan when that report is contrary to the thing that we want. Part of our, part of our whole philosophy and theology of claiming uh, what the Lord wants is we're going to make sure it's what we want too, right? <laughs> Pastor Kurt's going to have to back clean up after this message. But I, I'm going to tell you this. The question that breaks my heart is this, what happens, what about the times when the world sympathizes with us or gives us gifts? What happens when they come and tell us what we want to hear or they give us what we want to receive? Because my concern, saints, is that we have learned how uh, uh, to mitigate our differences with the world. We've learned how to, to reconcile ourselves enough that, that okay, as, when the world's doing something that we're not supposed to like or that we don't like or that we don't want to be party of, we will pick it and protest until the cows come home. But when it comes time to, to have to hold our ground and keep our door shut and locked and our hands up and keep the world at arm's distance, it gets a lot harder when they're offering something that we like. Listen, I'll be the first one to sit up here and say the riches of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. Amen? We love that. Zach, doesn't that just mean that, you know, they're riches, I'm righteous, like, do the math. It's all for me. Yeah, that's great when the Lord makes the transaction. The problem is that the world doesn't give us anything. It will sell you everything. You just don't know the price. And most often, most often, when we can't find a price tag on what the world looks like it's handing us, it's because we are the price tag. Our peace, our joy, our marriage, our future, our children, and their children, and their children. Here comes Hezekiah, verse 13. Here we go, epic fail. He listened to them. He listened to them. You get underlined in your Bible. I know there's more to the story, and I know we can't literally stop there, but I've got to stop there for at least a minute. He listened to them. 
See, the problem wasn't that Baladin shows up with an envoy and a gifts and flowers and, and we're so glad you're better card and welcome back and, you know, and a, and a mariachi band and chips and salsa and whatever else. It, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that Hezekiah stopped what he was doing, which was what? Ruling and reigning where he had been called. He took a break from his place of authority to listen to the world. And if you're not familiar with all these stories, then, then you, may not, you may not see the parallel, but if you track Babylon, Babylon is like a perfect representation of the world. See, when the people of God were rescued out of Egypt, it was, uh, Egypt is more symbolic of the enemy. Uh, it's, it's more likened unto Satan in the sense that it was a place of bondage, a place of slavery, okay? A place that the people of God had been born into because they were there for 400 years. And, and so it's, it's like us being born into sin with a sinful nature and bondage and, and slavery in our lives. And the Lord rescuing them out of there was like what Jesus did on the cross. It's this idea. And if you follow the, the whole Exodus story, there's so many beautiful parallels to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we arrive at Babylon. But Babylon was not known for its slavery or its bondage or its cruelty or its harsh treatment and tyrannical uh, overlording of the people of God. No, Babylon was known for its indulgences, its luxury, its riches, its feel-goodness, its ability to provide anything under the sun that you could ever want to stroke that thing in your life. That was Babylon, and that is the world. And so when Babylon shows up, Hezekiah listens to them. Why? It's a lot easier to listen to Babylon than it is to, say, maybe Pharaoh, who, by the way, is, is in this story too. Pharaoh is still on the scene. He's still um, flexing in and among the people of God. He's still doing his thing. But he's still seen as like kind of a bad guy. When Babylon shows up, it's like, well, let's just see what they have to say. It's just Girl Scouts selling cookies. What harm can it be? You guys want some cookies? Movie lines. Where's Pastor Will when I need him? So Hezekiah listens to them, and then it gets ugly. Then it gets dark. And showed them all his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices. How many of y'all here, when people come over to your house for the first time, you're like, let me show you my spice rack. <laughs> and the precious oil and the house of his armor. Oh, now we're going in deep. And he just opened up the Pentagon. And all that was found in his treasuries. In fact, the Bible says there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah didn't show them. Hmm. Interesting. See, when we listen to the world, we hear oftentimes what we want to hear. We hear that they're on our side. We hear that, no, this is good. You should introduce this into your marriage. It'll spice things up. No, this is good. You should expose your kids to this because it's the real world and they need to know what's out there. Oh, no, this is good. It's good for your kids to learn you know, uh, character and, and, and values and self-worth. 
by missing every single Sunday to play Little League. It's good, right? I'll turn around if anybody needs to leave. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that when we stop and listen to the world, you're going to hear what you want to hear because the world knows how to speak it. It speaks that language, that thing that we want. We want it for ourselves. We want it for our kids. We want it for our homes. We want it for our cars and our jobs. We want it. The world has become an expert at the desires of our flesh and it offers it up to us on a silver platter because as we take and eat of the things of this world, our back is turned to the things that God has entrusted to us and we end up making all the wrong things vulnerable before all the wrong things. And he shows him everything in his dominion and there was not one thing in all the land that Hezekiah did not expose to the world. Then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said, notice what he says, Isaiah. You know, when the prophet shows up, it's kind of like, seems like so often it's like a Debbie Downer thing. And I'm so glad that John's not like that. You know, when John shows up with a prophetic word, it's usually like, yeah, like God's move, yes, all right, let's go. But we do have the other kind of prophets here too, don't we? We get those kind too, and I get emails. Thank you, Lord, for email. Then Isaiah, the prophet, came to King Hezekiah and said, what did these men say? Isn't that interesting? His first question is not, what did you show them? What did you give them? What did you do? No. It's what did they say, why? Because what the Lord is taking note of, saints, is who you're listening to. And Hezekiah's first mistake was that he listened. He bent his ear away from the Father's heart for 10 minutes to see what it was that Babylon had to offer. Oh, look, they're coming. They're just just happy that I'm well. Yeah, they are. They're so happy that you're well. What did these men say? And now... From where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, oh, no big, no, they just came from this far, far, far away place, Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered with his head down and his tail between his legs. Well, Isaiah, they've seen everything. They've seen all that's in my house. In fact, there's nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, and I want you to hear this and hear it good and let it convict the pants off of you. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, is it not so if there will be peace and truth in my days? Can somebody appreciate what's happening here? 
The Lord tells Hezekiah that his negligence would cost his sons the kingdom. And saints, that this is where the church has failed the body of Christ. She sold out her legacy in order to be buddies with the world. And when conviction set in and said, oh, what have you done? What have you done? What have you done? Instead of falling on her face and putting on sackcloth and ashes and crying out right away, she did exactly what Hezekiah did. She settled for the fact that, well, as long as I don't have to see it in my day, as long as there's peace and truth in my day, I'm not letting my sons handle their own business and my grandkids and my, I'll be dead by then. You only gave me 15 years. Guys, I know it's almost become like a joke. I've seen memes and, and, and it's funny. I've heard some of you joke, oh, you know, you're going on this vacation, whatever. Yeah, we're just spending our kids' inheritance. <laughs> Everybody loves that joke except the kids. I've seen the memes about, uh, you know, racking up credit card debt that that generation will never pay and ultimately never pay for. What we're selling off, huge uh, swaths of land and industry and pieces of our commerce and our livelihood, our trades as, as Americans, selling them off, prostituting out what we've been entrusted with to, to pagans. Why, why? Because we stop to listen and they speak our language. It's terrifying when we can't see past ourselves. Here's the truth. Everything the Father teaches us is that you've gotta want it more for your kids than you want it for yourself. You've gotta want it more for your grandkids than you even want it for them. You've gotta want three and five generations away to be walking in a greater capacity of the things of God than you've even experienced yourself. That's what the Father wants for us. That's what the bride was always supposed to be. It was supposed to be the blessings that were snowballing, not the generational curses. That's what the Father wants. And that's why I stand up here and I say, hey, whatever it takes, get your kid in Christian school. Hey, whatever it takes, Make a sacrifice, get a second job, figure it out. If you can't, homeschool them, figure it out. That's why we opened King's Academy. It's because I, I can't stand up here and say, hey, send your kids somewhere uh, until I'm blue in the face without doing everything that I can. If, if their class is full at King's, send them to Barrington Christian Academy or Seekonk Christian Academy or Dayspring Christian Academy or, or some other acronym with a CA on the end of it. Figure it out. Figure it out. And if you say, I already raised my kids, do it for your grandkids. So into the generations to come. Find ways, look for ways, instead of spending it all now, instead of, of racking up a bill that, that is gonna be on their tab in the generations to come, and I'm talking about spiritual things, not just natural things, although I believe it. I think, I think banks have figured out how to, to you know, reverse mortgage us right out of our legacy to pass on. It's, it's nuts what we fall for. And I'm not trying to shame anybody and I'm not trying to condemn anybody in here this morning. I'm telling you, I read this and I feel convicted 
because there are times when I, my selfishness eclipses my responsibility to the generations to come. Well, as long as it doesn't happen in my day. If you follow the story, it's only a couple chapters later. We're in chapter 24, and we're roughly five generations away. There's around seven kings later, but five generations because of how Pharaoh steps in and removes a brother and puts in another brother, and then it ends up becoming that brother's uncle. It kind of, the monarchy, it's not a straight line through a family tree. There's some shuffling around, but it's roughly five generations later. And sure enough, the word of the Lord is fulfilled. Babylon shows up. Jehoiachin is on the throne for a few minutes. And at that time, chapter 24, verse 19, at that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, went up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, and he and his mother and his servants and his captains and his officials so the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. And I want you to hear this right here. He carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, just as the Lord had said. So the word of the Lord is spoken to Hezekiah and he says, everything you showed them, not just what you accrued, not just the, the, what you worked for in your time as king, but everything your fathers and your father's fathers stored up in the storehouses, everything, it'll go. Because there wasn't one thing you held back, there isn't anything that I'll hold back. And so sure enough, five generations later. And I think it's interesting too that in this time, if you're familiar with the lineage of the throne of, of Judah and Jerusalem and the Benjamin, some of the tribe there, um, this group, you know, there's a northern and southern kingdom. This is the southern kingdom. And if you follow this, mostly long, sad story of bad kings, even inside this five-generation period is King Josiah, and Josiah was a good king, a young man, and, and steps up to the throne and, and begins a list of reforms, uh, trying to build back in uh, the things of God and this and that. But what's interesting to me, and as I read this and follow this history, I think of how over the history of the church, we look at the, the Josiah generations and we like high five them and we settle for a blip on the radar. We settle for, for an adrenaline rush and an altar call and a, and, a, and a move of God. We settle for a weekend retreat and a, and a week-long revival and a couple of camp meetings and we check a box and we say, okay, we haven't totally forgotten. We get goosebumps and we see a few signs and wonders and we call it a day and go on our way. And saints, that's almost worse than it not happening at all. We get our booster shot to vaccinate us against the real thing, what it would really look like if the Lord had control of his people again. 
if the Lord was really leading us. Just enough, just enough to keep us going so that we're not really susceptible to a, a total move, a total encompassing, a total saturation. So everything gets carried out. And saints, as I read this story about the vessels, my heart breaks because I think of how many of us have spent a majority of our lives in captivity, not even because of our own mistakes, but because of the mistakes and the sellouts of those generations before us. It's like we don't know any better. We didn't live in that time. And so when we should be being raised on the principles and the truth of, of standing our ground and walking in holiness and living righteous lives as unto the Lord, when we should be raised up in that, instead we're raised up being taught how to, to maintain a temperature that's just warm enough so that we don't offend the world. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. This gospel is offensive and it hurts and it's rated R and it's ugly and it means that we have to accept that we're sinners and it means that we have to accept that without the Lord our destination is hell and it requires some hard pills to swallow but saints I'm telling you what when we stop taking what it is that, that's on the table he's setting before us. We're not only robbing ourselves and the generations to come of the blessing that was due, we're robbing the world of the truth that sets them free. So follow the vessels. They're taken away, they're carried away into Babylon where they remain for around 70 years. And then little less because Israel, the northern kingdom, was there the full time, but, but the southern kingdom spent a little less time in captivity than, uh, than the northern kingdom did. Turn with me to the book of Ezra. Chapter 1, verse 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. I'm very grateful for the word of the Lord that it always comes to pass. It's like some words you're like, no, that one doesn't have to come to pass. Please, Lord, really don't let it come to pass. But it will. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. You wanna know what the proclamation said? It said, hey, so he's, he's ruling Assyria which Assyria just kind of overwhelmed Babylon and in doing so acquired all of the Babylonian assets, one of which was the people of God and the land. And so one day Cyrus wakes up not knowing the Lord from a hole in the wall, not having a prophet at his right side whispering to him the things of heaven, nothing. No, but when the Lord says it's time, it's time. And he rests upon Cyrus a messianic spirit to draw his people out one more time. And so this thing 
rises up within Cyrus. And he says, okay, it's time. All these people, they need to go back. They need to rebuild this temple. They need to rebuild this city. And so he issues this decree and he says, hey, we're gonna take up an offering for these people. We're gonna gather cattle and silver and gold and everything else that's needed, a free will offering. But watch this in verse seven, this is where it gets good. Also, King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. Watch this verse eight. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and he counted them to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, okay? A thousand silver dishes, 29 duplicates, 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls, and a second kind, and a thousand other articles, and all the articles of gold and silver numbered 5,400, and a partridge and a pear tree. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, this is crazy, because if you know Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, first of all, Ezra was a scribe and an incredible historian, and he took immaculate notes and census of all the people who returned. And if you read on, you'll find the numbers of the families are detailed down to the single digits of how many from this clan and how many priests and how many Levites and how many singers and how many from this family and how many of these people. And it's all tracked. But before any of that ever makes it into record, the vessels are counted. 70 years later, Cyrus wasn't even there when they were taken the first time. It was Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, it was always in the Father's heart for those vessels to be restored. You see, when it was time to rebuild the temple, saints, the Lord was very concerned with what would fill it. He makes it a point to have the vessels down to each and every dish listed these things have been preserved because even in Israel's failure, the Lord knew there was a future. And I want you to know this morning, if you don't get anything else, know this, even in your failure, the Lord knew there was a future and he preserved you and he wrapped you in bubble wrap and he put you in a box on a shelf somewhere until things could be rebuilt but I'm telling you right now, the rebuilding is underway. The church of Jesus Christ is being restored and rebuilt. And this awakening that we are living in right now for such a time as this, you see, this is what's crazy. The father never gave two hoots about the temple itself. He says it, he says it, he says it to Solomon. He says it when the temple's dedicated. He's like, y'all know I never asked for this, right? I was after a man. I was after a heart. I was after a vessel. He wanted you and he preserved you all along the way. The whole time you were hidden away, the whole time you were stashed or stolen or, or, or shelved, the whole time the Lord had your inventory and you never left his heart and you never left his mind and you're in this room this morning because you're a part of a restoration process. And you know what's crazy to me? Even the golden vessels that were smashed to pieces by, the, by Nebuchadnezzar's army, isn't it crazy that when it comes time to count, nothing's broken? Nothing's broken. 
So if somebody in here believes this morning that something's still broken, I want you to know that part of what he's restoring is you. If you were broken along the way, if you got smashed somewhere in the story, I want you to know this is for you. Son, daughter of God, he's bringing you back. Would you stand with me? I love it. I love how concerned the Lord is with those vessels being restored. He's like, yeah, 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 temple, whatever. Where are my dishes at? You guys are sick. Lord, help us. And where is Timothy moved since first service? It's right here. I found it. It's good. And I want to close with where the vessels are now. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 20. Now in a large house. I'll say in a mall. There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Son, daughter of God, hear me this morning. You're a vessel and you're back. You've been restored. And now, It's up to you to decide whether you will be a vessel of honor or dishonor. Zach, you don't know the damage I've undergone. I was handled pretty roughly in the whole uh, diaspora situation. I was handled pretty roughly. I got jostled around a lot and there's some stuff. I wanna repent to you. I wanna repent to you for the church finding it easier to accommodate your brokenness than to believe for your healing. And I pray this morning that you hear the Father's heart and that you find this to be a house where we're not gonna pat you on the back and say, oh, look at this cute little chip that's out of you. That's just a part of your story. That's just gonna be there, that's okay. And we look at our brokenness like the little, the little teacup in Beauty and the Beast. And we give it nicknames and we pat it on the back and we say, oh, poor little so-and-so, that's who it is. No. No. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, mighty man of God. Mighty woman of God. You have been called for such a time as this to be a vessel of honor, full and brimming with the glory and the power of God. I struggle with that line in here where it says, and if any man cleanses himself, because I, I like all the other verses that say Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I like, I, like, I like putting that in his hands and saying, all right, you know how to 
get those hard to reach places, Lord. You, you, you take it from here. But it's interesting. Some of your Bibles translate that word purge. If anybody purges themselves. Why? Because now as that vessel restored, brought back, taken from captivity, removed from the world, removed from the enemy, brought back into the Father's house, you get to decide what you're used for. God's going to use you either way. Even the worst story will bring him glory. That's the kind of God he is. But I'm going to tell you, at my house, at my house, we use mason jars for everything. So does my girl, Andrea O'Connell, whoever you are. Becky, is that you, Becky? Oh, of course it's you. Like Miss Mason Jar herself. We use mason jars for everything. I don't know if it's because we live in Rehoboth or if it's because I come from a long line of moonshiners. But we use mason jars for everything. And so what that means is that if the boys are out catching salamanders or frogs or snakes, they're putting them in a mason jar. They're poking holes in the lid. They're putting all sorts of other stuff in there to accompany the thing as it dies while baking in the sun. And that's like on a good day. It might be in the chicken coop, used as a scoop for feed. It might be uh, dragged down the seashore if Mimi's in town gathering sea glass and God knows what other kinds of trash Willow will finds on the beach and stuff's in there, you know, enough to leave a residue. It's for all of those things. I talked to a guy after church, uh, Justin Howard, and he was like, yeah, he said, on long trips, when we're in the car and we can't take bathroom breaks, my kids pee in mason jars. Listen, man, you gotta go, you gotta go. But, but I will say this, we drink out of our mason jars too. And there's people in this room that have been at my house on Thanksgiving and I want you to know that you have drank out of our mason jars too. When the table's dressed up and the turkey's out and that pheasant that my father-in-law shot a hundred years ago is stuffed and sitting on the table and the moose antler and all the Hobby Lobby explosion of fall decorations in our dining room and you sit down to that beautiful place setting and what are you drinking your uh, like apple cider out of? A mason jar. I don't care what the world left in you. I don't care what residue. I don't care. I don't care what died in you or what it smells like. There is a sanitized cycle on heaven's dishwasher. And if you will submit yourself, if you will purge yourself, what does it mean? It means like, I can't get it all out. It means that that's okay. It means surrender yourself to his process. Surrender your heart to his hands. Surrender your vessel to his sanctification. And watch the Lord use you for honor. We're gonna pray and get you out of here, but listen to me. If you're in this room this morning and you've been wrestling with the past, you've been wrestling with your time in captivity, you feel like you're nothing more than some bubble-wrapped piece of broken history on a shelf somewhere, and you just read this verse and settle for the dishonor card, I want you to know that's not what the Lord wanted for you. And no matter what you've been used 
or abused or what you've experienced, no matter what the generations have done to land you where you are now, no matter what trauma or, or, or uh, anything you've gone through. I don't care. You look back at your father or your uncle or your grandmother and you see what's been taken and what's been robbed, the innocence that's gone along the wayside along the way. And I want to tell you this morning, we're not settling for those broken chips. We're submitting ourselves to the hand of God to be restored, fully restored, to be vessels of honor. If you're in here this morning and you want to be reconnected with that purpose and that calling, you want to be used in a place setting at the table that he's setting, that he's preparing, would you step out of your seat and meet me down here this morning? Because I want to pray for you. I want to I stand with you, and I want to believe for the full work of the Lord in your life. So, Lord, prepare me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. To be a sanctuary. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pure and holy. Jesus. Tried and true. With thanksgiving. with a, a woman after first service and she she just had been so broken going all the way back to childhood there had been so many things fractures and pieces robbed along the way stripped pillaged and she came down to this altar a broken woman and as I began to pray over her and another woman I was with began to pray over her, the Lord showed me this woman as a little girl and the Lord with her. And as a piece broke off, I saw Jesus pick it up, put it in his hand and he held on to it. And then it was like a flash forward and she was a teenager. I saw another piece break off and here's Jesus in the room with her, picks it up, tucks it into his hand. Over and over those pieces, the things that she thought had been forgotten, had been lost along the way, things that she thought would never be recovered, they were held against the scars of Jesus' hand. And she came down here broken, but she left restored. Because he still has every piece. He still has every broken thing. I'm going to ask Pastor John and the prayer team to move around this group. Listen, saints, as we pray over these folks at the altar, if you need to slip out, go on and have the best day of your life. God bless you and go in peace. But if you need to be at this altar, please, please do not leave before you come down and do business with the Lord. You are brought back for a purpose, yeah. and the Lord will restore your destiny to you this morning if you'll let him. Come on, sing it again. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.